to the Word in just a moment, but I want to pray one more time. Father, I thank you for your presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. The Lord, the Lord, uh, Lord, we come to you because the world seems to be short on joy right now. The world seems to be short on hope. And so, Father, I pray that, that you allow me for these, these next few moments to speak to my brothers and sisters. I don't know that this is even a message that uh, the world might be ready for, but I pray that you allow your children to be ready for it. Speak to us, God. Speak to those who are watching, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone say, amen. I think that was me. I'm pretty sure that was me. Praise the Lord. Hey, this morning, let me just start by asking you a question. Excuse me. In, in the middle of all the chaos that's been going on, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? <clears throat> Let's just go back to even 2020. Now, first of all, I, I want to say that I promise you, I think I said this the first couple of weeks possibly when I was here, <laughs> but even going into Christmas, I, I was trying to just share this that I would not go into 2021 constantly talking about 2020 because we know it changed all of our lives and most of us are just tired of hearing about it. But, you know, it's sort of like a lot of the stories in the Bible. Sometimes you have to remind people of what they've been through to show them that they got through. And 2020 was messed up, wasn't it? And, And a lot of us had this mindset of, man, if I could just get out of 2020... 2021 is going to be so much better. So let me go back to that question again. Knowing the chaos that we've been through in 2020, knowing the chaos that we've already begun to walk out in 2021, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? And I know some of you may be saying, well, you know, I've been working, you know, or I've been in isolation, or I've been going crazy. I mean, you fill in the blank. I mean, school's been turned upside down. Everything's been turned upside down, right? You can answer. That's good. No trick questions. Everything's been turned upside down. But here's here's what I want to touch on this morning. It's not about what have we been doing. It's what can we do. I want to talk to you this morning about what we can do. I've asked that question myself. Uh, When you go back to the summer, this last summer of 2020, during a lot of the racial tension, I met with several other pastors of color, very close friends of mine. And we would sit down and we would talk. And we would, um, you know, you can't talk about any of those issues that we're talking about this morning and figure it out in 30 seconds. So I would sit with my brothers and I would talk with them and And I would ask this question, what can I do? Because I wanted a simple answer. I wanted a real quick answer. 
I wanted them to say, well, if you'll do one, two, three, all this will be taken care of. It's not that simple, is it? We get to the elections, and now we get into all the politics. Now, this is not a political sermon this morning. This is just where we are in life, right? And, and if somehow you're looking for an answer to solve your political problems, that's easy. There's only one king. Everything else is what you make out of it. Now, let me just get back to the political problem, right? We get into the elections, everybody's so divided on that, and everybody just gets bent out of shape on that. You don't have to amen me. I know I'm right. I, I've talked to so many people, and listen, if you, how many, just be honest, how many have yelled at your television this year? I mean, isn't this even the, the favorite station that you have? And they'll start talking about something, and you'll start arguing back with it. Come on, be, be honest. How many of you have yelled at your television or your radio or your dog? You've yelled at something. Here, here's, here's the problem. We're looking for a one, two, three. We're looking for a quick fix. We, we think for some reason if the right political party gets in there, we'll all be Christians. Or we think that if the right political party gets in there, that we're all going to go to hell in a handbasket. We just think that if, if we can get the right... Now, please, it's not that we should not be concerned about politics, but, but here's, what I have, here's what I have found as I'm setting this up. We're going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment. That if we're not careful as Christians, we get lost in the, in the fray. We lose vision of what's important. Now, how do you make sense of that, Pastor? Where are you coming from? Well, let's look at the, the Hebrews real quick. Who is the writer writing to in Hebrews? It's not a particular church necessarily, but we know that he's writing to the Jewish believers who are made up of not only converted Jews from Judaism, but what we know is the Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews. So now you've got two different cultures mixed together. Former Jews, former Jews who are Greek, influenced by the Greek culture, influenced by Rome. We don't know necessarily if, if the book was written before. You know, Jerusalem was totally ransacked in AD 70. So we don't know, we think it was written before that because he doesn't mention that in Hebrews, but we do know he talks significantly about the Old Testament being done away with, the old temple sacrifice, the rituals being done away with. But we also know about this people that they were in persecution. Now what kind of persecution? They had been over that century, they had been displaced several times meaning they weren't allowed to live in the city anymore because they just didn't like Christians anymore. And if you were not Jewish, they didn't want to be around you. So the, the Jews even wanted them out. Rome wanted them out. So anywhere they would go, they were outcast. So they were, they were persecuted. They had different um, cultures coming together. And so what began to happen, here's why the letter was written to them. What began to happen is some of them started thinking, well, if this faith hasn't turned out like I thought it was going to turn out, I'll go back to some old ways. 
and they started intermingling some old Jewish customs and old Jewish beliefs into their new faith. Some just decided to leave the faith altogether. It's not working for me. And so the writer writes this book to this group of people, encouraging them to do a few things that when things are chaotic and things have not turned out like you thought, and, and you feel displaced, and you feel out of joint, and you feel like you don't fit in, whether it's in the church or your political party. You know, you, you can apply this anywhere. But listen, be very, very careful about trying to apply Jesus where you want to apply Jesus. You need to understand, he did not come here to be an application. He came here to be your Lord and Savior. He didn't come to be something that we look to occasionally. He didn't come to see if we could get him voted into office. But, but he did come to seek and to save that which was lost. So what is this saying to us? What can we do? Am I making any sense this morning? See, I'm, try, I'm trying to lay the foundation in this in such a way that you're already thinking what this means for you, not me setting it up, you know, A, B, and C. You know, I want to talk to Democrats this morning. I want to talk to Republicans this morning. No, see, that would be too easy because then the rest of you would check out. Some of you would just, if I focused in too much on one specific, but see, when I, when I talk about life being turned upside down, you all have a picture of what that means for you. When I say things in our political parties and in our nation, is that the worst that we've seen in a very, very long time, certainly in your lifetime. These last two years are producing things that no one living has ever seen in their lifetime. Okay, so first things that are, that are coming to us that we've never seen in our lifetime, and we're the first generation when every leader we know is going, I don't know. We'll have to see. Last year it was, we're not sure when we're going to get a, a vaccine. It might be by the end of the year, we finally get a vaccine, and it's going around, and now nobody can get it as quick as they want to get it. We don't even know how to appreciate what we have, because life's so turned upside down, we're living that chaotic lifestyle. I've got to get this making sense before I go any further. So nod, something. <clears throat> I'm doing all my classes right now online, the classes that I teach. Once It won't be um, in person for another week, so I've been doing a lot of online Zoom with the students, and even there I have to say, listen, I know I'm doing all the talking, but every once in a while you better raise a hand to say I'm getting this, or I'll start asking everybody questions. So I may do that today. <clears throat> Let me know you're getting it occasionally. Let's read Hebrews, can we? Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to break this down for a few minutes. Starting at verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith that brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit, but do doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this particular passage is coming out of nine chapters of the writer of Hebrews. Now, and the reason I keep saying writer is some think it's Paul, some think it's not. Um, it's a very powerfully written book, but they're not really sure who the writer is. It could be Luke. They've argued with it for centuries. The important thing is it's written to the Hebrews. And the writer's writing this, and for the first nine chapters, he literally sets things up from the standpoint of Jesus Christ is the supreme sacrifice. There's nothing greater. Moses is not greater. The angels are not greater. There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ. And he came and he became the sacrifice. God sent, there had to be the shedding of blood. And so he, he sets this story up, and for the first nine chapters, he goes back to the Old Testament, and he's setting up what needed to happen and how the priests were so vital, because you and I could not enter into the Holy of Holies, but a priest once a year, there had to be blood sacrifice that was made for the remission of sin. And not, not just the taking away of sin, but just the covering of sin. The representation that, that your sin is covered. So see, in the, in the Old Testament, it was a ceremony. But he keeps setting this up by reminding them, yes, there used to be a ceremony, but now there's a relationship. Yes, there used to be something that you had to do all the time. You had to sacrifice all the time. You had to make sure that when you messed up, you had to offer something and it'd be sacrificed. That's how you stayed covered. But now there's a better way. Why? Because these folks were turning away. Life wasn't what they thought it was. The pressures of life, the persecutions of life, they weren't even an election. They weren't even having those kind of political issues. They knew who the boss was, Rome. They weren't even having those kind of discussions. They just knew that they didn't belong. They knew that they were constantly being pushed around by life. They knew that life wasn't making sense. And so what does a writer say? Listen, don't focus on that stuff or you will turn away. Don't focus on those things or life won't make sense on a regular basis. But here's what he does. He says, therefore, when I've showed you all this stuff up until now, therefore, brothers and sisters, have confidence. Have confidence. Let me just um, start this morning. This isn't even one of my points, but let me just tell you how we need to, what we need to be doing during this season that we're walking through right now. Start having confidence. Now, the word there in the original Greek means boldness. But the reason I went with confidence is we redefine boldness sometimes and it turns into arrogance. See, boldness for the wrong reason is really a bull in the china shop. But confidence that we have that's not in ourselves, but who we serve, that's a different story. Because he says, I want you to have confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in what God has done through Jesus Christ. 
He says, I want you to have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, this new and living way. And he, he gives us a very interesting analogy here. Well, it was the curtain that was rent in twain, allowing us now to go into the Holy of Holies. He says that really was Christ, and Christ being broken, if you will, being crucified for us. That's even when, during, when we have communion, when Jesus refers to his body as being broken for us. That means when he died on the cross, that curtain was opened up. Now you and I can enter into the Holy of Holies. There was nothing that stopped our relationship with God. There was nothing that stopped us from being in the presence of God. Now, why is that important to have that kind of confidence in the world that we're living in? Because right now, we're just living here. This world is not our home, and that's going to mess some of you up because we want it to be our home. That's why we make everything here an idol. We make our jobs an idol, and when this idol doesn't pay enough, we get another idol. And when this idol doesn't pay enough, we get another idol. Because we think that if we have enough idols, we'll be happy. Um, idols do not make you happy. They make you slaves. Because even when you get your job, guess who you're working for? You're not, you know, even if you own your own business, guys, you know, that's not all it's chalked up to be. Okay? Now here, I'm not, I'm not knocking things. God doesn't care if we have things, but he does care if they have you. And so I'm saying that because we make things an idol. We make religion an idol. We make church an idol. That's why sometimes in the, the characters we see in Hebrew here, they, they were believers who were starting to say, you know, this persecution isn't what I thought it was. You know, I'm feeling annihilated from my folks that I used to hang out with, and I think I want to start hanging out with them again. So I'm not going to believe exactly what I believe anymore. Now, they may not have said it like that, but they started to live it like that. See, you and I never say it like that. Hello, don't get quiet now. We don't say it like that. Until one day we wake up and we've been living it like that. And we find ourselves in a situation where, man, how did I get this far off track? How did I start caring about this more than I care about him? Care about him? Why, am I, why can I watch the news and get so ticked off at people I don't even know? When all along God is saying, do you love them? Lord, that's not the point. I need to get my way. Lord, if they'll do things I want, if they'll do it my way, I can love everybody. Amen? When, when, you, when people do things your way, you love everybody. Let me, let me tell you what's happened in our nation. <laughs> and, well, I didn't come up with this. It's just history. You can look throughout history, and this has replicated itself many, many times. That's why even now, today, I believe that it's not a part of this message this morning, but one of our greatest ministries are our children's ministry. See, most of us are well indoctrinated, and to get us to change our minds is a slight miracle. It's got to be a word of God. But you start teaching the children, and you got a chance. So now, why, why is that? 
Because one of the first ways, one of the first things that happens in a nation or to a people is that the enemy comes in and he demoralizes them. Now, that doesn't mean that he takes away all their morals. What it means is he takes away all their confidence. So the enemy comes in, a country comes in, somebody comes in, whether it's a church, a nation, a business, whatever, and they take away the hope. They take away, now they say it can take up to three generations to do this. But they take away hope. They start telling people there's no hope. They start telling people you don't have a chance. They start telling people everybody's against you. Well, once that begins to happen and the morale is down and, and people don't think there's any hope, the, the next step is destabilization. And that just means that people start to get restless. Because if there's no hope, we're all like this. If there's no hope, we try to make hope somewhere. And things get destabilized. And, and we've seen this over the last many years in our nation. But it's come to fruition in powerful ways. Because what destabilization finally brings is crisis. I would, I would, I would without hesitation say we are a nation in crisis. Because we've been demoralized. More people than we want to admit think there's no hope. And I'm still talking to the church. There are people in the church that, that they're wondering where the hope is because they've, they've had their hope displaced. And things become destabilized. Now, they don't know who to turn to, so they, they start turning to their own desires and their own mindsets. I'm not even talking about sins. I'm talking about when we turn to how we think things should be done. And then we fall ourselves into crisis. Now, what does crisis produce? <clears throat> crisis eventually produces normalization. What 20 years ago no one would have thought of is normal now. Now, the reason I can tell you this is cyclical, and it takes about three generations, find me a grandfather and a teenage grandson and listen to that conversation. Find someone in their 70 or 80s and sit down with a 16-year-old and ask them the same four questions about God or about ethics or about sin and see if you get the same answer. You won't. Because when people have been taught there's no hope, when people are taught you can't trust in anything, when people are taught we're in trouble, everything they turn upside down becomes normal. Things that you and I would have never thought would exist have become normal. Now, what is the answer to that? What is the answer? He says, since we have this confidence, we have to start walking in confidence. We have to start walking in boldness. But can I tell you, your, your confidence cannot be in a political party. Your confidence cannot be, we, we're the ones that put our leaders into office. But, but can I be honest with you? Don't, don't expect our leaders to be any different than us. If we're not living it out, why, we, why would we expect them to live it out? If we're not honest, why would we expect them to be honest? 
if, if we treat each other wrong, why would we expect them not to treat each other wrong? Did I, did I, stop, did I stop talking? I, is this on? <clears throat> so no, I'm not, I'm not beating up on our leaders this morning. I'm challenging us, the church. So, so what do we have to do? Have to walk in confidence. How do you walk in this kind of confidence? It's by having faith. Now, we're not going to go there today, but if you turn the page from chapter 10 to chapter 11, we call that the, the faith chapter. He goes down a long list of why you can believe this. He starts at the very beginning, and he, he wraps it up with people who had still not seen the promise, but they believed. They didn't give up. They didn't give in. They didn't change ways. Now, we know the history of the Old Testament, right? The children of Israel were very cyclical themselves. God would deliver them. They'd live holy, and then they got real, real stupid, and decided they'd do it their way. Then the, for, for, for maybe 20 years during the judges, or maybe even hundreds of years, they would live in bondage and slavery, and then God would deliver them again. Now, we have this mindset, and if you're a New Testament believer and you believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, most of us, when we face pressure and temptation, we immediately get rapturized, and we just know that at any minute, Jesus is coming. Now, listen, I believe that. I believe that Jesus could come before I finish this message. And if I preach long enough, that, that could happen. But if, if, if we believe that, here's the problem. You, you can't live in an escape mindset. We still have to make a difference here. We can't just huddle on Sundays and stay in a huddle till Jesus comes, trying to make sure we don't have any um, crossing of the paths with people in the world. That's not how he's called us to live. But what I'm saying is, if you look at history, there's been many, many times where the community of faith that thought, well, this must be the time. Jesus is coming. They, they began to meet every Sunday because he, they, they really did think that he's coming back. Because he said he's coming back, it could be today. Now, I'm, I'm just simply saying this because when you look historically where America is right now, if the Lord doesn't come back, now just please listen to me. I, I'm not trying to beat anybody up when I say this. But so many are trying to prophesy their desires back into the presidential office like that's going to change America. Now, I'm all for us having great, prosperous lives. That's the American dream. But let's talk just for a minute about the God dream. To seek and to save that which is lost. Go ye therefore into all the world. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Bless those that curse you. See, that doesn't work well on the political track. But here's what I do know. That when a nation, when the children of Israel, turn their back on God, he didn't necessarily bring a great revival until they had learned a couple of lessons. There's a part of me, guys, and this isn't going to double our church overnight with motivational speaking. Um, we're not headed for revival 
We're headed for repentance. There's got to be a lot of repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, now we know that, but please, please listen. We have a hard time doing that. We have a hard time walking humbly before the Lord. And if we don't do it, they're not going to do it. The only way to turn the world to the Father is turn the world to the Word. And until we become people of the Word, they're not going to pay attention. Now, I'm saying that because just, just please, please, I'm not wishing anybody any harm, but God is going to take us to school before anyone starts to feel victorious. God's, God wants to teach us some things. And some of you thought, well, I thought, that's what 20, I thought that's what 2020 was all about. Well, what did you learn? Here's what I learned. God wants to slow us down. God wants us to stand still and realize that a lot of the stuff that we've been doing doesn't matter. Realize that a lot of the stuff we've been pursuing doesn't mean a hill of beans. Realizing that as great as we think we are, <laughs> we're capable of stupidity. Now, I say that, Pastor, can we get a little grace this morning? I'm getting there. Here, here's what happens. He says, with confidence, to the writer of Hebrews, with confidence, he said, let us draw near. So the first thing I want us to do when we leave here today, I want this to be burned in your brain. Let us draw near. Draw near to who? Draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, you and I don't have a relationship that we sort of cross paths with Jesus occasionally. We've got to live in such a relationship that we live in his presence daily that we draw near to God daily, that we understand we live in his presence when we're at the house, we live in his presence when we're visiting friends, we live in his presence certainly when we're at church, when you're at work, you are in his presence. And I'm not telling you that for you to walk around with guilt, saying, man, just, I, I can't talk this way, God's watching. You know, don't tell me that joke, God's watching. You know? Or, or you start thinking something, and then you get a guilty conscience because you realize God's in the room. Listen, that, that's just, that, don't, don't talk about that being guilt. That's just the reality. He is in the room. <laughs> okay? So I, I'm just telling you that because he goes on to say, let us draw near to God, listen, with a sincere heart. In other words, we can have confidence in what Jesus Christ has done, and because of that confidence, I can draw near to God. What is a sincere heart? A sincere heart is a true heart, meaning, God, here's the real me. I'm messed up. Now listen, there's good news about that and there's bad news. The good news is he already knows. The bad news is we're stubborn. We think he doesn't know. But that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, have confidence. The price has been paid. You can enter in and be in the presence of God with a sincere heart 
knowing, I know I'm not perfect, God. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I've done some stupid things. And God knows. But through Jesus Christ, we can enter in. We're not saved by ourselves or by our works. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's what was happening with the Hebrews. They, they started thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for Jesus to come, and he hasn't come because they really believed in the New Testament church that he was supposed to be coming back like in 40 days maybe. They really believed he was coming back in a very short period of time. Well, after about 50 years, these believers were like, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't what it was. And we're all like this. When things are what we think they are, we make something else. When things don't work out the way we think they should, we have a, a tremendous capacity to create what we think will work. And he said, let us draw near to God. Why? Because when you draw near to God on a daily basis with a sincere heart, and I love what he says there, with a sincere heart. Listen, it's not just cleansed, but he says, with full assurance by faith, listen to what he says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That, that means instead of walking around in fear, beating ourselves up because of what we did last year, our last month, our last week, or 10 years ago, embrace the fact that you are clean through Jesus Christ. Live in the presence of God. Live in God's presence. Get rid of the guilty conscience. Let him wash you by the water of the word. Let him cleanse you. Because now we're moving from this is not just a ceremony, it's a relationship. See, this is moved by something that's not just some, some relation, um, some ceremony that covers your sin. Now, this is a relationship who has washed your sin away. And you're living in his presence. Daily, living in his presence. He said, draw, draw near. Live in that kind of presence. Live in the situation where you know that God is with you. Not, not fearing he's not done what I think needs to be done. No, you just stay in his presence. When you're in his presence, guys, listen, three things happen very quickly. These aren't points. You're not going to see them on the PowerPoint, but listen, three things happen. I mean, first of all, we have to understand that we begin to know him relationally more and more. That relationship strengthens more and more. That our knowledge of him strengthens more and more. That happens two ways. You ready? Prayer and reading the word. When you live a life of prayer and you live a life of reading the word, Here's the third thing. You begin to walk in power. Prayer of the word, and then you walk in power. Let us draw near. But then secondly, let us hold unswervingly. I would have come up with better points, but they actually are the scripture. Yeah, they're... Couldn't there be a better word for unswervingly? Yes, unwavering. That's the other translation. Here's what he says. Let us, let us draw near, draw near to God with the confidence that we have through Christ Jesus. Let us draw near to God. And then let us hold this profession unswervingly. 
In other words, James says it like this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When you hold this unswervingly, that, that word, um, hold fast in one translation, hold unswervingly, it means there's a progression. It doesn't mean just grab a hold of something and hold it tight. It means grab a hold of it every day. It means, it means firm your, get, a, get a new grip on it every morning. Remind yourself every morning. Uh, don't, don't just get one grip. You know, how many ever watched a strongman competition? You know, I mean, these guys, some of these guys are like 6'6", six, six, 400 pounds. I mean, it's nuts how big these guys are, right? <clears throat> and they'll, 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 one of the, a lot of their competitions, they just go and they just pick stuff up and see how long they can hold it. And they'll stand there, and I'm like several hundred pounds on each hand, and they just sit there till their fingers fall off, right? Well, you know, that's not what God is asking us to do. He's not saying, I want you to reach down and lay hold of your profession in me and hang on for dear life. That's how some of us follow Christ. We tie a knot at the end of the rope and just hold on and hope we don't fall off. Here's what he's saying. He said, every morning when you draw near to me, every day as you live in my presence, you're just getting a little deeper hold. You're getting a better grip on this profession that you're making. You're getting a little bit tighter grip. Getting a little bit stronger. It's getting a little bit more successful. Things that used to slip out of your hand, they don't slip out of your hand anymore because you know how to hold things stronger now. Am I making any sense? See, thing, things should be a lot different the longer you're following after Christ. You should be able to hold on to things a little tighter. You should be able to hold on a little because every day you're, you're strengthening that grip. I hope that makes sense. Because listen to what happens when we're doing that. He said, let us hold on. Keep possessing it. They could not see him. They wanted him to come now. They wanted action now. They wanted kingdom now. But, but just like us, God is saying, listen, your profession and your faith, the same faith that Moses had, the same faith that Abraham had, the same faith that Joshua had, they didn't see it either, but they held on. You hold on to your profession that Jesus Christ is the answer, that my life has been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, that the veil has been written twain. I can draw near to God. I have a relationship with God. I can live in his presence, and I'm holding on to that profession, no other profession, because it's not that I'm just saved. I am saved, but it, it means that my life here has purpose but my life here is not just here. There's an eternal home. There's a, um, what's my time? All right, I've got about 10 minutes. There's a false teaching going on out there. There's a lot of false teaching going on out there. Because see, when th again, when things don't go our way, we start to listen to something that might. One of those false teachings, I'm all about us having influence in every area of our life. That's why our mission statement is simply, it's simple, that every generation experienced transformation 
in every area of your life. Why? Because you're men and women of God living in his presence at home, at work, at school, wherever you are. Your life is worship. But there's this teaching out there that, that culminates in the seven mountains of your life, the seven areas that exist in every culture, and how that we are supposed to overtake those mountains and have dominion in those mountains. That's not scriptural. Because a lot of that gets twisted around to where that, that's why we're trying to make the presidents we want to be the president, because we're trying to set up dominions. We're trying to set up Christian countries and Christian businesses. Well, there should be Christian businesses. There should be men who are Christian who own businesses. There should be women who are Christian and own businesses. Um, that does not mean that you don't do any work unless the whole world gets saved. That means you go out and build houses or tear houses down or run businesses, and whoever you cross paths with may get blessed because of the God in you. And their lives may be changed because of the God in you. That's what we're called to do. Not dominate. Because the mindset says this, in order for Jesus to return, <clears throat> we've got to establish his kingdom on the earth. Do you know what that makes you sound like? It makes it sound like your God setting up the kingdom so Jesus can come. He does not need your help in his kingdom in that respect. He just wants us to be obedient to what he's called us to do. And see, when we, when we start trying to build kingdoms, you'll be shocked at how twisted that gets. And so I'm saying that because if we live in his presence and we lay hold of this profession every day, Mm, I'm on a soapbox. I'm trying to get off. Um, see, here's what happens. I, I'm, I try to build my kingdom, and as long as you do it my way, you're okay. Now, we see this in our culture now. Everybody's fine with their own truth as long as you believe their truth. But if you don't believe their truth, they don't want to hear your truth. And we're going there quickly. But I, I, I just simply say this, because what happens in a culture that we're experiencing right now as men and women of God, when we don't live in his presence, when we don't get a hold of what he's really done, we will create something else to hold. So what is it that we should be laying hold of? Our profession in Christ. Our profession in Christ, that he is our deliverer, that he is our savior, that he is our king. That's why we pray when the disciples ask the Lord, How, teach us to pray. Okay, pray like this. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If you miss the first part of that prayer, it doesn't matter if you pray the rest. You've missed it. Because then it's all about your kingdom. If you don't start that prayer with our Father who art in heaven, I believe there's a God. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom, his kingdom come, his will be done in earth not as, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Not, Lord, give me six months up front. 
We all want it six months up front, right? What if he's calling you to live one day at a time? What if 2020 just wanted to get you slowing down long enough that you learn how to live one day at a time, getting a new grip on life? Learning to live one day at a time, watching your whole political world fall apart, but having to trust in him because nothing else seemed to matter. Watching what, what seemed to be the greatest nation on the planet be the most laughable nation on the planet because God has a way. Listen, let me just say this. God builds nations up and God tears nations down. And I say that with fear and trembling because we have a lot of military families in our church. I, that, so this is not a slam against their service or a slam. This is if we do not follow God, we find ourselves even as a nation. So he says, lay hold, lay hold unswervingly, lay fast. We can't see him right now, but we know his, his coming is soon, and he is faithful. And then last, let us consider one another. What can we do? Well, the first two are very private. Let us draw near to God. I've got to draw near to God. I've got to live in his presence. I've got to lay hold of that profession. I, you can't lay hold of that profession for me. I have to lay hold of that profession for myself. But now we go public. What does that look like? Let us consider one another. Let us, let me read the whole verse. And how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So a couple things there, and then I'm going to close. <clears throat> what does it mean to consider one another? Well, <laughs> instead of caring for yourself and watching out for yourself, is look at those around you. What are they going through? What do they need? I wonder if they're struggling. Let me, let me just find out how they're doing. I'll, I'll give them a call. That's pretty old school. Well, texts are so impersonal. I mean, the only good thing about text is they always make sense. You can always feel the emotion the right way in a text, right? Our real feelings always come out clearly in a, you know, uh, you know, text, but here's what you should text. I'm getting ready to call you. That way they'll answer the phone, right? Because if you call people right now, they don't even answer the phone anymore. But if you text them that you're going to call, they'll answer. Why call? How are you doing? I was just thinking about you. I was just praying. I was, I was drawn near to God, and I was laying hold of my profession. And I thought about you. How are you doing? It's been a long time since some of you have heard that, isn't it? How are you doing? How are you feeling? What are you going through? And see, now, here's what typically happens, and listen, let's just be, be transparent for a second. Here's what typically happens with even us in the church. Are you ready? How's it going? How do you think it's going? Man, I was just watching the news, and blah, 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 blah. And then before the end of the conversation, both of you are just like tied in knots, 
You don't know how to act. You don't know how to feel. Everybody in the room is mad now. And, and so instead of bringing all that up, it's not pretending it's not there. It's just deciding what's real. It's, it's just deciding, is God really in charge? Then I'm going to start acting like it. Do I really believe that there's a king of kings and lord of lords? Then I'm really going to start acting like it. And the best way for us to act it out is to start caring for one another. Start considering one another. And then he says, provoking. Now that word provoking, what does that typically mean? Not good. Um, one translation in the original Greek is to stir things up. Usually what, what is somebody doing when they're stirring things up? Not good. No, there's no good coming out of this. You're just stirring things up. You're bringing up the past. You're bringing stuff up. You're, you're just stirring the pot. What he's saying is, when you go in with the right intentions, you know what, you know what another word for that is? Insight. When do you normally hear the word incite in our culture? They incited a, what would happen if our faith and the power of God in us was so real and tangible that we didn't incite riots? But he said, you incite people to love and good works. That you love people so much that they just want to continue to, to love somebody else. Well, I, that, that sounds like you're making them love out of guilt. Exactly. Make them love somebody so much they would feel bad if they didn't love you back. Love somebody so, help somebody so much that you know it's something's going to rub off and they're going to help their neighbor. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about provoking, not, not pushing buttons to get a rise, not pushing buttons to get people upset. It's provoking one another in such a way that there's love. Because the very next statement, and I'm closing, let's all stand. The very next statement is, and not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as some have. And what is he talking about there? He's saying some people get so hopeless, some people get so disenchanted, uh, disadvantaged, they get so broken up that they just give up. And they decide Jesus isn't the answer. And they've stopped attending altogether. That's, that's the church. Now, that's a hard statement coming out of 2020. When the church has been told to isolate, the church has been told don't attend. So I'm not talking to all of our streaming church who we've not seen in a long time. This isn't to make you feel guilty about not being here on Sunday. It is to strive for the importance of us being together, though. You see, corporate worship is not the same when there's only two people at the house. We are the church, but there's something special about coming together. We are, you're the church at work, but that's not the corporate gathering. We have small groups, but for us, that's not the corporate gathering. Because we still are able to. I want to encourage you to not miss what, what happens when we come together corporately. We sing. We worship. We pray. We, we hear the word. 
We have, a, we have a choice to respond to that word. But then we leave here and we begin to walk it out. We have to walk it out because we're the church. God says, I, I want you to do this as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? He says, even, even if you don't physically see me come, just keep doing it. Keep encouraging, because I promise you, it's going to happen. Don't, don't lose hope. Don't listen to what the naysayers may say. Don't listen to what the world may say. Yes, we have to take things around us very seriously, but with confidence, draw near to God. Lay hold of that profession. Lay hold. Let us look to each other. Let us take care of each other. Let us consider each other. Pushing buttons toward love and good works and, and make sure we're coming together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, everyone here is making a decision right now. What does drawing near look like? What needs to change in my life? Are there things in my life that I've been drawing near that I need to stop drawing near to those? And as James says, if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Lord, I pray that we, that we lay hold fast, unwaveringly, unswervingly, Father, to our profession, and that is in Jesus Christ. In Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking. Lord, I pray that you allow us, even today, for us to consider each other. What our needs are, emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs. Lord, let us not look to the world, but let us look to each other. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, it, it may call for miracles. Thank you, Lord. You happen to be a God of miracles. Lord, show yourself mighty through our lives. And as we leave this gathering, Lord, I pray that we go forth and, and be the church in powerful ways. But Lord, even this week and next Sunday as we gather back together is to encourage, is to hear your word and be strengthened so we can go out and be more than conquerors. Now, Lord, I pray that you just show us these things in our lives this week. Let it be seen as we draw near, as we hold fast, as we look to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. And please, take some time. I know we have to social distance. We get that. You're tired of hearing that. But pretend you're hugging each other's neck as you walk out the doors.